Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, let's look at the business stories that are making the papers and indeed other stories making the headlines. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by uh, broadcaster, businesswoman, businesswoman Nora Casey, and also by Connor Faulkner, uh, the newly appointed CEO of the Royal Irish. Automobiles Club. Uh, you're both very welcome <laughs> to the programme. Thank Firstly, you, Bobby. Connor, congratulations on your appointment. Yeah, thank As you very much. As a motoring man, I know you have a lot to add and a lot to give. Yeah. Such a wonderful organisation. Very excited by it. I mean, it's there on Dawson Street. The history is well over 100 years. It's older than the AA, my alma mater. Founder members of the FIA um, and a marvellous old place. So I find myself um, in my maturing years, Bobby, um, st- stepping Never. into a big job, stepping into a big job. Well, I don't job. want to date myself, but I've been a member of the said club for over four, over 30 years. So. Well, there you go. And you, you know it's a fantastic place, yeah. isn't it? Wonderful Well, every success with that. Now, on to the business at hand, Nora. Um, I know RT would be hoping that uh, uh, they were no longer in the headlines, but all the papers uh, today continue to carry the saga of uh, RT, uh, the bonus, uh, all the, the 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 I suppose the revelations that we've seen. It, this just doesn't seem to be stopping, even though the focus uh, seems to be shifting away from Ryan Tuberty, and indeed he has been. It looks like he's going to be cleared by the Grand Thornton report of any wrongdoing. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know that's. At least that's some line in the sand. And, and, and thanks for doing all the tricky stuff there, Bobby. Yeah. Um, I, I, you'd have to be living on another planet not to know what was going on in, in RT this week. And the drip feed effect, of course, meant that the story just didn't stop because every day new revelations came and there was more speculation. And it's a perfect storm, as in this rank and file people out in RTE who, of course, were very angry. All the other media gets more excited about a media story than anything else. It's raining and atrocious weather all week and the government and the politicians melt it for what it's worth. I would say, without getting into the detail, there were definitely four takeaways for me. One is, when you have privilege, it means just that, privilege. And the way that some of the language was used in the inflammatory sense of the question did nothing to further the cause of trying to rectify what was going on in RTE. It was all grandstanding. It was really difficult to watch. In my world, in business, I've dealt with people who have been corrupt, fraudulent, who've told lies, who've stolen things. They're still entitled to due process. They're still entitled to respect until the whole investigation is finished. That's not what we saw this week. So I thought that was really distasteful. If the government itself was being subjected to a PAC committee, we could have been talking about what about the 100 billion tax avoidance in 2015? The 2.2 trillion in shadow banking that yeah. our own regulation has discovered. The you know we we no sooner got out of the property crash and the banking crisis, and we were seeing these huge fines being imposed on banks for the tracker mortgage scandal. So we live in a, a country that has all of these huge, enormous things going on, but we all got very exercised by this one thing. I think the the biggest loser is going to be public sector, um, public sector, the public sector broadcasting itself. What astounded me, and it will you, I've been running business since I was 30, the failure in due process there, the issues around the board, oversight, audit. Why was this all just coming to light because of one individual? And then we were seeing this, you know, tsunami of other things that were happening within that organisation. The management and the board, I, I would say, without commenting on anybody in particular, in the UK, when they restructured the NHS, they thought it would be great to make the consultants CEOs because they were the ones that made all the decisions. 
And then very quickly, it became apparent that consultants were terrible CEOs. In RTE, they've always looked for creative and media people. If you're going in to run a, a few hundred million turnover organisation, you need very strong management capabilities. I would say that lower down the list is your creativity and your and your experience within the media industry. And that's, you know, you can see that across the board that, you know, people are not taking part in the executive committee. There's no collective responsibility there. Okay. Um, Connor, I don't know, uh, you've obviously been watching it. Yeah, yeah. It just shows, though, it does show at another level how ingrained RTE is, whether you're a fan or not a yeah. fan or whatever your view is. You know, it has been a circus that has been a circus that we've all watched. We, it's It has been compelling. Yeah. And you know, the old PR maxim or political maxim that if your headline's three days running, you're in trouble. Three weeks in, the rain hasn't stopped and the RTE story hasn't stopped. Uh, Nora, I think that's spot on as an analysis. And I think the big takeout from it is that in the long term, when we get over this sort of silly season feeding frenzy that's been going on, in the long term, the risk is the damage to public uh, broadcasting. Uh, and, you know, lots of people joining in in this feeding frenzy, everybody taking turns to have a kick at RTE. And sometimes the kicks are justified. But I think we'll wind up with a lot of collateral damage. And, you know, a bit like Golfgate, where the entire country was so furious and yeah. satisfaction in getting a kick in. And then the dust settled and we all sort of sobered up a little bit. And, you know, net, we lost a really important EU commissioner. What did we gain? And I think when we come through this RTE thing, we'll be saying, look, net, what happened? Did we improve the culture? Did we crack open this veil of secrecy? Did we bring in some better corporate governance? I, I don't have your experience, Nora, but I've been on a number of boards and I, just even reading uh, what was going on in RTE was absolutely shocking to me. So maybe we'll improve that. But I fear that the, the collateral damage done to RTE and to public broadcasting in Ireland something probably we'll be living with for a yeah. while. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're right, Connor. I think we will move on. <clears throat> and mm. I think we will, just like as you, if, uh, if you equate it to Golfgate, yeah. it almost seems like a different, different, a distant memory. And yeah. this will be the same. But, you know, sorting this out, you know, is going to be painful mm. because, uh, you know, Kevin Backhurst has already said uh, it's going to have to be a leaner organisation. There are people on salaries, on contracts yeah. that, they just can't be torn up, you know. So yeah. unraveling this and straightening out is is highly complex. There have been um, there have been punctuation marks over the story, though, where the governance and RTE could have intervened to correct the contract. Problem. Sure. I mean, no disrespect to Ryan Tuberty or any of the really really successful people in RTE, but realistically, in the size of our market, they're overpaid. You feel as if the bluff only needed to be called once. Off you go to News Talk then, see if they'll give you. <laughs> A seven-figure Bobby, Bobby's laughing. He's Bobby's on the laughing, floor yeah. here. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Sorry, I'll have to talk to my agent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm his agent all of a sudden. <laughs> well, I think there might be a gap in the market for an agent. You never know. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. Um, both the Irish Times and indeed the Irish Independent confirming that what we knew already that we're now uh, in a technical recession confirmed despite records, jobs and ta tax take. Um, state under technical Recession in first quarter, CSO confirms. Uh, Nora, um, we've got two stories going on here within it. We have the story when you include the multinationals, uh, again, um, a, a story that distorts, I suppose, what's happening on the ground. You also then have, you know, the indigenous economy, which is, and they both seem to be performing, but, uh, but both deliver, it's, they're both very hard to measure. Very hard to measure. And very think, hard to measure them collectively. And I think anyone listening to this 
will find it extraordinary that we were talking about a technical recession because, you know, to us, we're booming the restaurant industry, the hotel industry, the travel industry, agriculture, you know, everything seems to be, we have that big rebound from COVID. And yet because of our reliance, obviously, on the multinationals and that sector obviously contracted towards the end of last year and 2.8% in the beginning of this year. And it was mainly due to um, capital. Uh, so there was a vast reduction in capital uh, formation, investment in capital formation. 16.5% yeah, to be exact. exactly. So then the real economy, um, which obviously lagged behind, if you remember in 2015 when we were talking about boom, 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 but our real economy underneath was lagging. So now our real economy is actually doing okay. It's not spectacular, but it's doing okay. But but our over-reliance obviously on... Um, on the multinationals is now showing, particularly in the technical sector, which everyone knows has been subject to a lot of uh, a lot of difficulties over the last six or eight months. And Connor, the Nora mentioned it there with a sharp drop in investment in capital formation of sixteen point five percent. That's a fall in investment in intangible assets, a key feature of multinational activities. Yeah. Not spending. Not spending. And if you look at if you look at the uh, market cap of a lot of these big uh, firms, uh, that's fallen off, has it, 9% the last year yeah. or something like that? So it's a strange phenomenon. And Paul Krugman, uh, the economist, the, he coined the phrase leprechaun economics, which I have to say was a bit bloody cheeky. And, you know, he, he has greater depth of understanding, but it was a great soundbite. And, and essentially what it is, is our huge multinational sector distorts the numbers. So the Gini figure is actually a better figure for Ireland and it shows that the underlying economy actually grew by a little over 6% last year. So, you know, will the real Ireland please stand up? Well, it's, it's, we have a labour shortage, um, we have a housing shortage. The only thing that's uh, available in the economy at the moment is cash and yet we read that technically, having gone through two quarters of technically negative growth, we're in recession. So this makes the ordinary punter, I think, throw up their hands up in the air and say none of this makes exactly. any sense. Well, I'm going to be talking to John Fitzgerald a bit later on in the programme. I'm going to be ask him about MDD, that's Modified Domestic mm. Demand. Which and, is up slightly. Yeah, and GNI, uh, GNI Star, which they call it. Yeah. Um, again, both other measures that effectively strip out the multinational piece. Yeah. And give you a better look. Um, yeah. Just, it leads us on nicely to Cliff Taylor's analysis, mm. yes. um, which he <laughs> says that ministers are playing the two-card trick of both being flush and broke, Nora, and yeah. <laughs> By that he means basically um, the, telling the public that the public finances are in splendid shape while persuading his colleagues that there's little spare cash to spend. Yeah, and that's, that's called the two-card trick. <laughs> and the, the great thing about you know that piece by Cliff is actually very, very good. And he, he's talking about, of course, this difficulty that we all, if you are running a business and for once in your life you're making a bit of money, all your staff are in the door saying, can I have an increase in my salary? So it's exactly that fine line, that tightrope, that uh, successive, well, obviously Matty and previous that, Pascal Donahue, are trying to tread as in, you know, of course, we've done really well and our cash stick has been huge, but we cannot increase permanent spending because we won't have that in the future. We also have a big debt, courtesy of the other scandals that I was mentioning earlier. But Cliff says that, unfortunately, uh, you know, prudence doesn't win elections. Yeah. So that's the problem well, is everyone wants well, he money. reminds us here, <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah. it's, it's really well said. He says the, electric, the electorate punishes parties seen as responsible <laughs> for mismanaging the economy but this happens after the event. After the event. <laughs> and, and they uh, haven't mismanaged yeah. it. That's the reality. And, and you know, we, 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 you could, you, we will be reading in history books about the Tiger period for years and years. But here we are again. We have more cash than we planned. And what are we going to do with it? You could spend 
pro-cyclically. Now, surely we all know at this stage that is the wrong thing to do for the economy, but it's tended to be rewarded electorally, as Cliff points out in the piece. I would love to live in a world where prudence is rewarded electorally. And at least I think Pascal and colleagues between them uh, look to be the basic split of the extra, what is it, 18 billion that we've got. We're going to spend, we're going to increase permanent spending by 6.4 billion, which is a huge commitment to take on, Nora, to your point. But they're still budgeting for a surplus of 12 billion next year. What do you do with that? And Cliff is saying that the government is really looking at three things. Long-term saving scheme, CapEx, which we really need to build build metros with the money. At least we still have them. Uh, And then ultimately pay down debt. Because we're a prosperous little house with a huge mortgage at the moment. And if we have a chance to pay it down. But he also says, does he not, that on those three points, Conor, that um, he he says that... uh, if basically if the money isn't there, they'll be like ball men arguing over a coal. <laughs> yeah. So if the money doesn't happen to be there, i.e. that if somebody hits a button in California well, just and there's that. a change in the tax take, we could be in a very different scenario. Well, just that. I mean, it's an artificial circumstance that has money flowing into the Irish coffers and it's great while we have it, but it will be a massive strategic mistake to treat that as permanent money. Well, and in the, fact, I think everybody does The reality that. is it, it's very irresponsible governance. It's not going to be popular because coming close mm. to the general election, you know, of course, the opposition is going to make great mileage out of the fact that some of these one-off payments like the electricity crisis and, yeah. uh, or the electricity uh, one-off payment for the cost of living crisis. But we have them uh, every year. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, 85 million, I'll say it again, 85 million stolen in payment and frauds and scams last year. A horrific figure. Uh, up 8.8%, Nora. Yeah, and I feel I contributed to a huge amount of that. Firstly, I have no ends of friends this week. Usually I only get one or two, but <laughs> I think I've had about 20 a day from an Irish mobile and made the mistake of picking up the first one. So now anybody who doesn't know my number or I did, doesn't come up as a name, I can't answer. And also, the only thing that was comforting about this, if there's anything comforting, mm. is 95% was card fraud. Now, I, I know this. I, three times my card has been fraudulently used. So I'm constantly in a state of waiting for a new card. But issues like um, smishing, and these are all new words, by the way, and scammers basically trying to get you to put direct payments into their account have gone down, primarily because we're more aware of it. You know, yeah. I mean, my yeah. mother's 92 and she talks about it all the time. Consumer awareness is up, but the biggest difficulty is they find new ways all the time. As soon yeah. as you've got one thing, you you make people aware of that, they found another clever way yeah. to try and get money from it. Card not present is the term yeah. that's used in the, in the piece that's so, where most of the activity is happening. We're all kind of getting used to it and as you say the fraudsters get more sophisticated so we're not getting letters from Nigeria anymore. We're not getting phone calls from somewhere in the Pacific. They're coming from what look like Irish mobiles. I got a call the other day from somebody who represented himself as a Garda with, shall we say, a comically non-Irish accent and a ludicrous script. So you kind of laugh and think, well, nobody could fall for that. Um, but there's another parallel piece by Conor Fian in the Indo yeah. and he's saying that how the, the, the fraudsters are doing it. One of the things that's growing in popularity now is shoulder surfing. So this is where the, the thief, the scammer, will physically clock you keying in your code um, and even if he thinks he's got a reasonably good guess as what your code is rob that phone yeah. try that code you get into the phone and you never know it might be the same pin for Revolut and, and if, if you learn nothing else here today folks do not have your pin number as your 
code for your getting into yeah. your phone. And so beware the please shoulder Please change surfing, it if yeah. you do. Yeah, they used to say if, when you're at an ATM, cover your PIN number. Well, um, what, but when you're opening up your phone in any circumstance. But then since COVID, like we use our phones to pay, so they're everything. out of our hands all the time and very available for people to see. Yeah, and we're opening them with codes or, yeah. you know, doing your little thumb squiggle or whatever it is you do to open it all the time in, in plain view. Nora, um, I'm two other pieces I wanted to chat with you. I know you were involved in the earlier days in the children's hospital, but two articles here are both saying the same thing, that nobody can put a figure on the bill for the children's hospital. As I recall, in 2015, the figure was 700 million. Now we're over 2 billion. This is the biggest scandal ever. And I sat on that board from 2007 to 2012. I was actually working here and that was one of the reasons, thankfully, I resigned and got off the mm. board. So to start with, we're sitting there and the matter site is the one. Remember, this started in 1993 with the mm. Faculty of Paediatrics of the Royal Society of Physicians in Ireland. That's 20 years saying, ago. Saying there should be a signal designated mm. tertiary paediatric hospital. So I pick up uh, after all this McKinsey report and everything, the matter site is chosen. We sit around the table. In fact, I sat on the procurement committee and with an amazing man who virtually wrote the rule book for the Irish government on procurement. And we nailed that down every which way on the matter site. It was all done. 40 million was spent. Mm. Then suddenly there's a change of minister and the matter site is no longer viable. There was issues with the planning authority. No surprise, there's still issues with the planning authority. Um, and then suddenly it was all up for grabs again. Another location after a huge review mm. And that goes to James's. Now, 650 million was the cost when I left it. And at that point, 40 million had already been spent. So we're now starting at a new location. That's, you're talking four times the price now. Four times. So let me tell you, since then, since all of that, how many ministers have there been? Six health ministers, multiple chairs, tons of different reports and major reviews. One billion was the initial price in James's. Then it quickly rose to 1.3 billion. As you say, nobody knows where it's going to end up, whether it's going to be 2 billion, because they've got themselves in a situation where BAM has over 1,480 claims against mm. the contract and they have to go through all of that. So at this point, the National Pediatric Hospital Development Board, this is disgraceful because this should have been built six or seven years ago. 27 rooms are completed. Um, I think ever if you ever, even if you strip it back to the most simple form, if you try and build and design something at the same time, you're going to pay more for it. Yeah. And this is just, this personified. It's a heartbreak. It's a little case study in everything that's wrong with governance in Ireland. And the amount of my, because the one thing we have is cash and we're pouring cash at it. I Whatever about the site choice, Nora, which was well, well, you know, discussed at the time by the entire country. Um, but we are in James's now. And it, I can't understand how the project management has been as loose as it has been. I, you know, this is an enormous project, but to have hundreds of millions uh, still in dispute with BAM and then presumably still working with them on a day-to-day -day basis, I, I, I wonder what that di dynamic is like. And I can't understand how it could have drifted. 2,175 claims worth an estimated 756 million were raised by BAM up to the end of June. So if I'm going into the minister who's holding the purse strings and he says, how much is it actually going to cost? And I'm saying, well, do you know, I'm, I can't be precise because there's about 700 million and I couldn't tell you whether Huge we owe figures. that or not. Oh God. These are Huge insane figures. amounts. Look, how, how big is Ryan Tuberty's salary that had the entire country in the same for three week, Connor? In the same week. In the same, in the week. same week, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's extraordinary how, how this country works, how, how certain things can be lightning rods for attention and criticism and other things that should be scandals just become part of the background yeah. noise. Like Political the football. That's exactly what happened to that from the beginning. A great documentary 
mm. will happen if, if I don't do it myself. <laughs> okay, you heard it here, folks. Uh, Connor, I want to have you there. Nissan are investing 640 million in a Renault electric car unit. Is that significant? Well, it's part of a pattern. Uh, Renault and Nissan and Mitsubishi are in this long term. They make one in nine cars worldwide. They're wow. a huge, huge entity. And they've been in partnership for over 30 years. Charles Gosen was a great industry figure. who Checkered, he was arrested himself in 2018, but not before he turned around both Renault and then Nissan and they're in partnership. But it tells you where the investment is going. And the thing about big business, the big car makers is, you know, they're pure capitalists. They'll only do what's profitable, but you can channel that energy and that money in the right direction. Volkswagen are spending 180 billion over the next five years. They've announced their spend their investment envelope. 180 billion. Wow. Of that, two-thirds is going into either electric vehicle development or digitization, which tells you where they think the market and the money is going. And, and Connor, you know that Renault have, they're flooded with cash now because they yeah. moved out of the Late Late Show. <laughs> We're talking big figures here today, folks. Finally, Nora, are you a fubber? Well, fubbing is a rude <laughs> habit, but shaming is work. And fubbing, just to uh, share with our listeners, <laughs> the act of completely ignoring a human being who's trying to make contact in favour of your phone. Hands up who's guilty of the above. I'd oblige myself but I'm too busy scrolling. Well, it's, so the reality is in the morning, the less humans I have to talk to, the better. And sometimes I open my phone and pretend I'm reading it. But the, but the really big reason why Lisa Braid is writing at this, Grazia Online reported on a daycare centre in Texas, and I do agree with this, the sign said, you're picking up your child, put away your phone. And the parents went ballistic, shocked and how yeah. rude they were. But isn't that true? Isn't it true? And you see it every day. The damn thing hypnotises you. And sometimes I'm like you, Nora, it's a great social problem. Oh, yes. It means I don't have to make eye <laughs> I haven't had coffee yet. Don't try and interact with me. But other times the damn thing just hypnotises you. I, I'm for years talking about its effect on drivers. So you're sitting in traffic, you're bored, you look at the phone. Oh, look, an amusing kitten. And then the car behind bites you. And it, it, it's just a crazy, crazy. On that note, we'll leave it here. Uh, Connor Falkland, every success in your new role at the RAAC. And Nora Casey, old colleague and friend, thank you, great, for both for a great review of the papers. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.